Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 406 of the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis, and today I'm joined by Joanne Ruelos-Diaz, who is one of our contributors on the Mom Hour team and is also a freelance writer and a mom of two kids. Um, I believe, Joanne, you said seven and almost 11? Seven and almost 11. I always found that age to be so fun with kids. I really like that sort of mid, mid big kid, but not teenager yet age, but out of the preschool age. That's a really fun spot to be. I know. I think I don't want to jinx it, but they're, they're kind of in a sweet spot right now. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, um, It'll get, it'll get different. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It'll get different. Not worse, just different. Um, but we're going to be talking today about being writing moms and living kind of a writerly life as moms. This is something I've been doing in one way or another since my kids were really little. So I did the math the other day and realized it was 20 years ago that I really started my freelance writing career in, in earnest. I was pregnant with Will. So it was the summer of 2003, um, spring of 2003. And um, you also have been writing for, I think, quite some time. You've written uh, children's books. You do a lot of freelance writing. Let's just kick off by you telling us a little bit about your current life as a writing mom, the kind of work that you're doing. And then I'll talk a little bit about what I'm doing. And, and then we'll kind of talk about how we got started and um, just what it's like to be a mom who writes for a living. Sure. Um, I am a children's book author and a freelance writer. So a lot of my work comes from editors who reach out to me to write a specific assignment. And most of my work is for children, educators, and parents. Um, I'll work for companies like Scholastic, the publishers of Harry Potter and Pokemon and Dave Pilkey books. And I'll write, um, I'll adapt children's television episodes into books for kids that you see like on those spinner racks at yeah. bookstores. Yeah. And um, I just finished writing my second original children's book. I finished that at the end of last year. So that's coming out um, this November. Wow. I think that it's so fascinating because I think a lot of people think that um, writing children's books would be like a dream. And how could anyone even do that? And I know we're going to get into how you actually got started, uh, but I think that's it's just fascinating that there are such different paths to being a writing person, a writing mom, and ours both kind of have centered around children and, and the experience of having kids or, you know, writing for kids or for me writing about having kids. But I love that that's something that you actually made a career out of. Right now, I am doing almost all personal writing. I, I have not done any freelance writing work for pay in probably a year. And so it's just much more sporadic than it used to be. Um, 
But I want to back up a little bit now and talk about kind of how we got started uh, as writers, because it's really shifted a lot for me over the years. And I guess just to say when I was first getting started, I had always known I loved writing. Um, but then when I was young, I really thought that meant you had to like live in New York City or you had to work on staff at a magazine or a newspaper. I just really had no idea that you could a, even freelance. I thought you would be already at a publication and then maybe become freelance. Like, I don't know if I thought that was a, something you did in retirement or something. I just really <laughs> had no idea how it worked at all. I do remember um, being fascinated. I don't, are you familiar with Irma Bombeck? Yeah. Yeah. So uh -huh. my mom had all of her books and I remember reading them when I was a kid. I thought they were really funny, which is kind of funny. I was reading like about being a suburban, you know, <laughs> middle-aged mom in the seventies or something when I was a little kid and thought they were so funny. And I remember reading someplace that she had been a writer that had like contributed to all these different publications. And I wondered, well, I wonder how she did that. And so maybe Irma Bombeck was like my first, my first like introduction to the idea that you could have a writer life and not, I guess, live in New York City. But anyway, um, so as a young mom, I kind of dabbled. I would, you know, send an essay someplace and hope it, like on some website that probably didn't pay anything and hope it got published. And I did get a few things published that way. But in the early 2000s, I subscribed to a couple different publications that I don't even know if they still exist. One was called um, the Writer Magazine. Writer's Digest, I believe, does still exist. There was a few of them. And there were early, early websites for creative work, writing work. And this would have been like late 90s, early 2000s. But then in 2003, I joined a couple of forums. One was a paid forum. It's still around. It's called Freelance Success. And I paid like $100 to join it for the year. And that was a big investment for me at the time. But that was really what opened up the whole world. Like that's where I really realized that people were sharing editors' names and email addresses and like what they were looking for in pitches. And I just kind of started. I started sending out lots of, um, they're called query letters. I would have an idea. I would send out a pitch. Um, in the early, early days, I would sometimes send a, written letter by mail with a self-addressed stamped envelope because that was what you were supposed to do. A sassy. A sassy, yes. That's what <laughs> you were supposed to do back then. And um, I did that really steadily from 2003 to about 2013, where that was my thing. I was just a writer. I was blogging for fun. And I definitely, like in my late, in the later part of the aughts, started blogging more seriously. But I was the majority of the work I was doing was writing for magazines, writing for websites and writing books. And that, I mean, it changed a lot between 2003 and, and 2012 or 2013 or so, but that was still really the work that I was doing. Um, and that's changed a lot since then, but that was how I got started. How about you? It's so funny because I hear um, you talking about your, how you started writing. And that to me sounds so intimidating. <laughs> I, I'm intimidated. I was intimidated when I was a kid, by the yeah. idea of being a writer, I never in a million years thought I could be a writer. And even now, when I say I'm a writer, I feel a little bit like, am I though? Yeah. Because I'm not, you know, like yeah. I'm not pitching and I'm not um, doing like capital W writer things in my own mind. Um, I came into it as an editor. So I went to school to study um, communication and media studies. And I had I don't know, like a very vague idea of wanting to be in like a room with <laughs> art directors and like looking at layouts of a magazine. You know, I really liked um, People Magazine and yeah. Vanity Fair. And I, I thought I could never be a writer, but I could kind of be part of a team that worked on those kinds of things. And um, I took a few classes where we would analyze advertising and that made me kind of think, oh, you know, I want to use media in a, in a positive way. Um, and what would be a good place to do that? Like Sesame street is an amazing way of using television to educate children. And, um, I went to school in New York city. Um, the corporate offices of Sesame are in New York city and I mean, just wildly as a coincidence, when I graduated, I applied there and I got my first job in their publishing department. So I worked on their 
magazines. Um, they had a magazine for preschoolers and really funny. They had all of these international magazines. So my first job was looking at, um, the Spanish Sesame street magazine and, huh. and working with the editors and saying, yes, cookie monster can say that, but no, he can't do that. Wow. Um, okay. That's yeah, so fascinating. Yeah, like a really <laughs> weird and funny job. Yeah. Um, and then I worked as an editor, as an editorial assistant. And then I moved up a little bit. Um, I did that for, I don't know, maybe 10 years of working in for various um, children's publishing companies and educational publishing companies until I actually got laid off. Um, I got laid off, I don't know, like 2009 publishing. I don't know if you remember, it was so volatile back then. Oh yeah. So people were getting laid off. People were getting laid off like every other. I think that was when I went really hardcore on blogging was like 2009, 2010, because the writing on the wall was not good in the magazine publishing world. Oh, I mean, every day you were like, is this yeah. the day? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was every, you know, all of your friends in, in different companies. So I got laid off. And I mean, the, the great thing about that was since I had worked in so many places, I knew a lot of editors who hired freelancers and they kind of felt bad for me. So they would, yeah. they would be like, oh my gosh, let me hire you. Um, so that's how I became a freelance writer from those editors and my former coworkers hiring, hiring me um, to do work that I used to edit. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. So Joanne, one thing I love about your story and how different our stories are is that you literally did the dream. Like you did the thing I thought I had to do um, to be a writer, which was you went to New York City, you worked in publishing in like these legitimate house, you know, publishing houses that were set up for you to have a path. Like you got in on the path and you went through it and you had done it uh, and you had studied that in college. And I think it's just really interesting to see like the... Um, the difference, because I took a few writing classes in college, but by the time it occurred to me that I could actually take like classes to get published, I was already getting published. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. And I never had even been to New York City. I didn't go to New York City even to visit until 
I went to a writer's conference probably four or five years after I started getting published. So I just think it's so interesting that there's many different paths. Um, I even would say that in the past 10 years or so, New York City as the established center of the publishing world has changed a bit. Like it's still there. It's definitely still probably the biggest player, but there's lots of places where there's publishing happening all over the country, all over the world. It's funny hearing you say that just because to me, what you did was so much more uh, courageous, you know, to create your own ideas and to pitch magazines is something that I still, I don't know if I've ever done. Wow. Okay. Well, let's... if I have done it, if I have done it, I never heard back from okay. the editors, you know, like I said, I said well, emails and never heard back. You got to send a lot of emails. It becomes <laughs> at some point it's like a numbers game. Right. Um, and we're definitely, let's, let's definitely make sure we carve out some time to talk about what that looks like sometime in the episode. Cause, um, it can be intense. It works really well for my personality, but I totally get that it doesn't work for everybody. Um, but I think it's also interesting that we sort of drifted into these niches or specialties or whatever we want to call them, like topic areas that we write about for the most part, like that, that's the place where, and sometimes that just, sometimes you just fall into that. And sometimes it's very consciously chosen. I'm wondering for you how that looked. Well, I think that, um, I very mission driven. So I, I like the idea and I'm more comfortable working on things when I feel like I'm being helpful or I'm, I'm doing something that, um, I feel it sounds so corny, but that I feel like I'm making the world better in some small way. And it's partly, you know, it sounds really, um, altruistic, but I think to be honest, part of it is that it's more comfortable and safe to be writing with a, um, a goal, a goal that's not my personal, um, aren't my personal words. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm Mm -hmm. not pitching about my personal life. I'm not writing about my personal life or, or writing fiction stories out of my own imagination. I'm using, um, in many parts of my job, I'm turning educational content and I'm making it engaging and I'm making it silly and fun. Um, it's a different kind of writing. It's a different kind of work to it sort of padding um, between have parameters you and the work. Yeah. 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 So there's padding around it and there are more parameters. So it's a different kind of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've always liked that kind of writing and I'm comfortable with it. Um, I think I've also, you know, I'm Asian I'm Filipino American and I'm a woman. So naturally I think I, um, care about representation and diversity. And so that is something that is a focus in a lot of my work. Um, you know, for Sesame, those are all ingredients that are mixed into their mission. And, um, even now I'm writing for Scholastic and I'm doing some, some like cute little readers for these television shows that feature, um, um, like young female characters that are people of color. And I just really enjoy doing that and adding a little, um, contributing a little to exposing kids to, to more, to more people. Um, and I think, you know, when I was pregnant, I had some pregnancy complications and then I had some postpartum mental health complications. And so I really became interested in, um, helping other mothers, um, feel less stigmatized and to be more, um, to be less lonely about those kinds of things. I was kind of shocked about, I was shocked at this world of motherhood that I was not prepared for. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I am, um, you know, both my parents are doctors. I felt like I should, should have known more about how, (laughs) how uh, pregnancy and motherhood worked. And um, that sounds funny. I know how, how you become a mom, but um I just was so unaware of how hard it would be um, and how many complications there were. So I wanted to expose more women to um, to those kinds of stories. Yeah. And so I guess I guess it's kind of all. Oh, sorry. Well, it's OK. It's kind of all like built out of your 
your life, like you, one thing led to the next to the next, right? It's not like you um, decided one day I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to write uh, children's books. I'm going to write for like, you know, educational publishers. And then at some point I'll dabble in pregnancy complications, mental health. You know what I mean? Like those things came out of your life experience. You didn't have to know it all at the very beginning. Definitely. It was sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm interested in this. And I, how can I help? Right. How can I help um, in some way? Yeah. Do you feel like for you, had you had your first job in publishing been in some totally different topic area? Do you think that that might have been a through line you just would have seen through too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think Entertainment Weekly magazine started like around the time that I was either in school or just recently graduated. I mean, I loved Entertainment yeah. Weekly magazine. And I think had I gone that direction, um, I would have enjoyed writing about television shows. You know, I could yeah. have seen myself going that way, too. Yeah. I think it's important to point out for people who maybe um, aren't really familiar with how like the writing world works, that there are definitely writers who consider themselves more generalists, who maybe maybe their specialty is reporting or they just really get curious about a topic and they will become obsessed about one topic for a little while and then move on to something totally different. And that's definitely one way to do it. I think the general idea was always uh, and at least in the writer circles I ran in that you make things a lot easier on yourself if you have a niche or two that you kind of go back to a lot because editors get to know you in that space. You get work that way. Um, and also you're not reinventing the wheel every single time. Um, I don't think it would have worked for me to be like a standard newspaper reporter where um, I was like going out on like all different kinds of stories and doing something new every day. It would have been exciting and interesting, but it I like being able to build on my work and have like some cohesion around it and feel a little bit like an expert in the area that I'm writing about. And again, like just totally one way of doing it versus another way of doing it. It's not like one way is right and the other way is wrong. Yeah, I think that there's another contributor on the Mom Hour team, uh, Chani. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think she kind of um, says similar things, but she I think she can write about so many different topics. And yeah. I probably am not that kind of writer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm learning from her. I follow her on Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shawnee and I go way back. So that's really fun. Like, I love that. Um, we're like a family, <laughs> like a writing family, but yes, she's, she's a great, um, she's great at, at being more generalist, but also she also has her, her motherhood beat too. Right. Like she's got her topics and large family and all of that. And I really think for me, um, motherhood was just literally my life for so long that when I would get up in the morning and think, okay, I want to pitch a story today to X magazine, or, you know, I, I need to get some queries out. Cause I was very much in like a pitching machine. I would just, it was just made sense because parenthood and, and kids were right in front of me. And so I was writing a lot about when my kids were really little, I was writing a lot about, um, health and parenting topics. And then as they got a little older, I started talking more about, um, or writing more about the experience of being a mom. And then I was kind of dabbling in personal development and wellness, but that still all ties back into the, the work I do now. So it's like, it's not like every single story I've ever written is in this very like tight box, I guess, but there does seem to be a through line. If you look at the whole body of work, um, where you can see how things kind of hang together. But that said, I have definitely, especially when I've just been trying to make a buck, I have definitely done some writing outside of that specialty. So I'm curious if you've taken on any kind of unexpected or weird work as writers or anything that you did that kind of was outside of that box, but maybe you loved it. Well, all of my jobs are kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> so when, when I describe them to people outside of my industry, they sound so weird. And within my industry, people are like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. So one of the weirdest jobs I ever had um, happened right after I got laid off, as I was saying, you know, from uh, from a children's publishing company. And I ended an editor reached out to me. She um, worked, I think, at the time for a UK publisher and they wanted a book about Justin Bieber. And it was like okay. a super fan 
a super fan book, you know, it was like digest sized, I think. And, you know, they wanted like all of these games and activities. I wrote like a choose your own adventure, like astrology um, based on Justin Bieber fans. And a few years later, I saw on Amazon that it had been published in multiple languages and they sent me a copy that was actually translated into Slovenian. Oh my so gosh. I think that's um, a big claim to fame that I have. That, I believe that. <laughs> Somewhere I- in Slovenia, there's a, there's a Justin Bieber book that I wrote. I kind of feel like you and Justin Bieber are best friends now because of that. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like a loose tie, but I think that is so cool. I did so much <laughs> research on Justin Bieber in 2010. <laughs> I love it. Well, that would have like maybe played into your entertainment weekly, um, you know, fantasies about writing I for know, that the publication. Road not taken. Exactly, exactly. Another, I'm trying to develop more subspecialties to tell you the truth, just because as a freelancer, it always helps to have multiple revenue streams or, or, yeah. or different beats that I can cover to get hired for work. Um, so I've been t- taking, um, I've been taking online courses. I'm taking a yoga, teaching yoga and mindfulness course for kids. And this year I'm really focusing on expanding um, not only what topics I can write about, but the audience. So even working for the mom hour has given me an opportunity to write for um, grownups, so to speak, (laughs) to write for for moms. (laughs) Sentence structure a little bit different, perhaps. Yeah, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I think that, that you raise a really good point that if you're too narrowly focused, you kind of get pigeonholed, even if it's yourself pigeonholing yourself, you know, like where you're like narrowly only looking for certain kinds of work or only certain kinds of editors are thinking about you. You're not on other people's radars, I guess. And you really, I really have found this to be such a relationship business. And it sounds like you have too. It's like you get your work through people who know you. And once they know that you are reliable and that they can, you know, reach out to you and rely on you for a certain kind of work, they're going to keep coming back to you again and again. But if if those are the only people who know you, then you're not going to branch outside of that. So I I think that's a really it's a really good point. Um, You know, and people move around, you know, editors move around or they leave the industry entirely. And so, you know, in many ways, it's kind of like starting from scratch every year. Yeah. Although you can look at that as a as a benefit, because if your editors move on and you've had a good relationship with them, then you can keep the relationship and maybe follow them to where they're going. And I found that to be an, a good strategy if you're on top of it. And if the place they go isn't too weird, like, if you know, if they go someplace where there's just no you have no interest and there's no way you're going to write for that place. But even editors, I feel like have tend to have kind of their niches, too. They might move from like one kid oriented project to another or one, you know, wellness oriented project to another, but they're not often going from like, I don't know, you know, um, children's publishing to finance. Like it just, I don't see that happening quite as much. That's good because I cannot write about finance. (laughs) (laughs) I tried once. It didn't really work that great. Well, (laughs) I was going to say that for myself, um, I have done some really outside the bounds work. I mean, like it often still relates back to my niche and it's always related to something I'm interested in, but sometimes it's like really kind of out there. So for example, I've always loved tea. And then at one point I had a pretty regular freelance gig writing about the tea industry. And then I did the same thing with like herbal medicine and organic food and body care products. And so One thing um, that I know, at least back when I was really head down as a freelancer, I'm not sure how this has evolved. This might be outdated information, but it was kind of understood that if you worked for trade magazines or industry publications, it would be like a really low pain in the butt factor. The editors were easy to work with. They paid well. Like, so those were really plum jobs if you could land. For a while, I wrote for like the Sam's Club magazine and that I was still doing the same kind of stories. And they were still lifestyle stories, but they were for these corporate publications. And those were really fun to do. Um, Another kind of weird little, you know, side, like, I I don't even, it wasn't really like a side thing, but just sort of, I wandered into it sideways, I guess, was I, 
had been writing a lot about children's travel. And then that kind of morphed into Midwest travel because I had a whole bunch of little kids and we weren't going all over the country. We were getting a lot of local travel stories. So I might be asked to take my kids to this area of Michigan and do like an itinerary. I did a lot of those for, um, for Disney had a website that I think maybe now is defunct where they did tons of travel itineraries. I wrote so many of them. Um, but a lot of them are Michigan based. And then that kind of led me to writing for a Michigan based magazine. And it was kind of this upscale lifestyle magazine. It's still around. Uh, but when they first launched, they had a spa, um, column that I got to do for like two years. So I got to go to travel to like fancy resorts and spas. I got expensive treatments for free and I got to write about them. You know, oh my get, gosh, this is my dream job. <laughs> you don't get those every day. Um, I also did a lot of work for startups. And when you're talking about, you know, children's writing, I just feel like apps and content sites and like any kind of startup where there's going to be copy that has to get written, I bet you'd be perfect for that. But I wrote like a, a advice column for a site called The Mid, and then they bought like Scary Mommy, and I think The Mid went under, but Scary Mommy is still there. Um, I wrote a series of habit emails, like it was it was called something like the first thirty days or something, and it was the idea was it takes thirty days to build a habit, so you would have this like thirty day email um, series that you'd be led through, and I wrote a whole bunch of those. I wrote for um, Susan Kane had a website called quiet revolution. That was a startup. I wrote for that. I was a columnist for Babbel before they got bought by Disney. So there it's like those kinds of jobs are out there. I would say those all came through people I knew who were either fellow freelancers who had then taken on sometimes contract jobs as assigning editors with those companies, or sometimes it was an editor had been at a different place and then moved to one of these startup companies. And I did a lot of that kind of work, especially like in the early teens, um, the early 2000 and, you know, maybe like between 2010 and 13 or so. Um, I guess it's just worth mentioning that at that time I was so deeply entrenched in that world of freelance writing. I had a ton of friends, a ton of contacts who were actively freelancing. So I got a lot of work referred to me. Um, because people that knew I was looking, I think it would be a lot harder for me to land those jobs right this minute. I just don't have that relationship right now with people in the industry, but I could do it again. I mean, I did it from scratch the first time, right? I would just kind of have to put myself back out there again and let people know I was looking for that kind of work. And just like anything else, if you leave it for a while and go back, there's a period where you have to sort of reestablish yourself. So um, but I guess I'm saying all that because Joanne, I think that you, if you felt like you wanted to get into doing all of Justin Bieber's writing, I bet you could do that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not Justin Bieber, but okay. maybe, I don't know. Um, Celebrity ghostwriter. How, yeah. you know, I, okay. I have an idea for you. What if you became a ghostwriter for celebrities, kids? So you know how like celebrities every celebrity kids. now has like a podcast or a, I don't know, like a a product or whatever. What if their kids got into it? Their kids all had their own books and you were their ghost. <laughs> Maybe we could go to different spas yes, together and, and, spas. and write about it. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. You could be sitting next to this like four-year-old. I'm just picturing <laughs> you sitting next to a four-year-old. You're both like your hair is wrapped up in a towel. You're getting your nails done and you're dictating their thoughts on life and then figuring out how you're going to turn it into a book. This idea has legs. I, 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 like I think I should get on TikTok. <laughs> that's we can where, monetize this. Yes, that's where that is. All right. Well, let's talk oh, about- Oh, you know what? Maybe uh, yeah. I just wanted to add one thing, if that's okay, um, because I think that the mom hour probably has a lot of teachers and educators. And what I would say, if, any, if, if you are a teacher or an educator and are interested in freelance writing, I mean, I do a lot of work for educators. Um. I'll write for educational publishing companies. I do a lot of work for Sesame Street. They have something called Sesame Street in Communities, and okay. they provide free resources to educators and social workers, um, early child care center providers. Um, there are so many companies that are looking for people who have teaching experience that want um, to create resources for educators and kids. So that's another really big opportunity for people to do freelance writing. 
We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Joanne, I definitely want to talk about how we've made it work as a writing mom. So not like the how we've actually gotten the jobs, but how we've written with small people running around. Um, I'm going to quickly go back in time to when my kids were little and just talk about kind of the way I strategized um, babysitting and like when it worked, when it didn't work. Um, and then I'd love to hear yours. It's very different for me now. And it's honestly not like now I just work a regular. It, it's still challenging sometimes when my kids have to be picked up from school at certain times like that. But it's nothing like it was. Now it's just, you know, regular working hours. But going back in my way back machine to when I was first getting started, I had multiple small kids in the house and I've never really had full time childcare. I've never really even had like reliable part-time childcare. I did a lot of babysitting swaps. Um, sometimes I would go in on a, like a shared sitter with a relative or a friend, and then we would swap off. So we had lots of those. Like I did, my brother and I swapped for a long time. My friend Melissa and I swapped for a long time. Um, and then sometimes we would have like a third person who would come in and like cover both sets of kids for a little while, but it was pretty limited. For a while, my ex and I worked alternating schedules. So I was able to write, um, while he was at work and then he was able, I was kind of able to hold down the home fires while, or the home fort while he was off working. He was typically working though in another town. So that was really hard because it wasn't like he was in the house working and I just had to be there to make sure the kids didn't bug him. Like he was not any, he wasn't even in the same uh, state at times. So that was really difficult, but Probably the hardest period of time for me was when my kids were mostly in school, but not all in school. So there was kind of a simplicity when they were all little and most of them were at home. But then the more of them that went off to school, it's like it, my life got way spread out. Um, and I think that's kind of a unique situation when you're a mom of a big family. Like if you just have um, two or three kids, they're kind of more concentrated and you get them through. I mean, assuming they're not, you know, 
10 years apart or something like that. But if they're kind of in that two, three, four year spread, you kind of get them through things in stages. And I think when the, the more spread out they get, the more maybe even with your kids, Joanne, the more you start to feel like you've got kids in multiple things, you've got one who's still napping, but then one who needs to get picked up at noon from their, you know, half day program, or you've got like one who just wants their older sibling to be home to play with them and doesn't understand why they're going to school every day. And so actually for me, when they were all or mostly all at home, it actually worked better than when they started to spread out. So that was something I didn't expect. I thought the more kids I got out of the house, the easier it would get. It really wasn't until they were all out that it got easier. Um, and when they were really little, I remember doing a lot of writing like in the car or on a picnic table, like not while driving, mm-hmm. not while driving the car, but they would fall asleep in the car. I'd park the car. I would write in the front seat or I'd sit at a park, like at a picnic table with the doors all open on the minivan while they were napping. I would hide in closets to do interviews. I mean, I could get very creative with the way I made that writing life work. And I look back with fondness and I'm glad that's over. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. What about you? Oh my gosh. We have had so many different situations over the years. I mean, we, I only have two kids compared to, you have five kids, right? So they're, and my kids are relatively close in age. I mean, they're three and a half years apart. So right now they're both in school And it's definitely the easiest it's ever been since I know from eight to three, I I have that time. Um, When they were young, it was so much harder and and for for different reasons, Um, you know, with with a baby, their schedule is just all over the place. So there's not there's not a lot of um, predictable chunks of time to write. Yeah. And even when they are sort of predictable, they're so short. And I don't know if you're like a fast writer and a fast thinker, but I'm not. So even if I had like two hours to write something, I, I'm not easily able to like click into that writing brain, mm-hmm. um, and, and start writing right away. Um, so the other thing is infant daycare is just so expensive. Yes. Um, and we have no family around, so we have had to pay for every hour of childcare we've ever had, basically. Um, the other thing I would say that's really relevant to, to my story is that my husband is a playwright, and he, um, in the last few years, is also a college professor. So there were times when we had young kids that we were both self-employed, um, and that had a lot of pros and cons. I mean, the pros were that we had flexible schedules and we could kind of trade off with childcare. Um, the, the con was that our income was really unpredictable, which made making decisions about childcare difficult. You know, like, yeah. can we pay this per month? Because how much are we making per month? Um, and the flexibility was great, but that meant that sort of we were working all the time. So for people who have like um, an in-house job or like a nine to five job, once you're home, you're home. And for us, because we were able to be with our kids during the day, we would be going on like our second or third shift of work at 9 PM after the kids were in bed. Um, So I, I've really run the gamut. I've had part-time nanny. I've had, you know, we've paid for full-time daycare. Um, and all of all of it had its trade-offs. I mean, I think you're probably you're probably similar with your freelance life. Sometimes you're trying to calculate like how much childcare can I afford yeah. based on what I'm making. And all of that, I always thought that I was going to be able to crack the code on that. And the truth is I was ne- never able to crack it the way I thought I would. I never came up with like a magic formula or like a crystal ball to, to see if it was all going to work out. It all did work out. It all worked out, but it, you know, you kind of have to figure it out, you know, whether yeah. that meant working on nights and weekends or um letting your kid watch lots of TV that day, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It was just just really day by day and depending on the age of the kids. Yeah, and there's been times in my life when I was really able to stay up later, for example, and work or could squeeze in some hours on the weekend, and then there were times in my life where that just wasn't really doable. I can't now. I don't stay up late. That does not work for me. Um, But I also am not up so early 
that I could squeeze in like two hours of writing before I have to get my kids off to school. My life just doesn't quite work that way right now. And there have been times in my life where I was up before the kids uh, or staying up way after them. And times when I really had to fit it all in during the day when I had some kind of childcare, it's, it's been all over the place. And one thing I think um, is kind of important to remember, and this is not something that I really understood then. I think it's something I understand now is that it just takes a lot of time for these things to build. Right. And Mm-hmm. I felt a lot of pressure to, well, it was, it, it, the pressure was, um, I came by it honestly. It was real pressure. I didn't make it up, but to earn real money as a freelancer. And that's really different. Earning real money, like the kind of money that pays the majority or like a big chunk of your family's bills is a really different plan than I want to establish myself in this spe- specific area. And it's okay if I don't make much or any money at it because over time, my name will become more recognizable. I'm building a body of work. Like those are very different goals. And if those goals are always colliding, it can be really frustrating. And there were definitely times where I was like, I just want to be building something for myself, but I have to pay the bills with what I'm doing, which means I'm going to take this assignment on, you know, something that's not very interesting to me or something I even feel a little weird about writing. Like I felt very out of my, not like weird, ethically, but just like a weird assignment where I felt sort of out of my depth and I would have to sort of figure it out and learn it. And most of the time it it went fine. You know, sometimes I I would truly turn something in and think, wow, I had no idea what I was doing on this. But 99% of the time it turned out fine in the end. And I can now see looking back how some of the things I was doing were, were helping to build, um, just to help to build a bigger picture. Yeah, I totally relate. I mean, I think a lot of um, moms probably primarily think like, oh, can I justify this childcare when I'm Mm. not necessarily making that amount of money in the work that I want to do? And it does take time to build and it takes like an investment. Um, I just think if I could tell myself something back then, I would say take a longer view of of the investment into childcare and the work that you're going to be doing, it's not going to pay off, you know, at the end of two weeks. Right. But right. if you pull, if you zoom out, um, it, it, it will make sense that you paid for that childcare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could be really hard to do when you're also needing to bring in an income. I think that if that's a constant, like if you're constantly at a conflict with your own creativity, it's not a great place to be. And sometimes I think that's when like, having a part-time job, whether it's writing or not, that just pays the bills, but you're not trying to do with it what you're trying to do with the other thing can be really helpful. Does that make sense? Like it can still be writing, but it's more just like, I'm just doing this just to bake the buck and I'm going to separate it in my mind from this other kind of writing that I really want to be doing. Oh, definitely. I mean, I feel like I go through that every other month. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really grow out of that. Here I am still dealing with it (laughs) and I've been doing this for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, Joanne, what do you see your writing life looking like as your kids get older, looking into the future? What do you want that to look like? That's such a good question. Um, Well, because my kids are in school for um, like from eight to three, that really frees up my time. You know, when my youngest turned four, I think I felt myself having more mental space to write in an easier way. And then, of course, pandemic hit. So the kids were home with me um, and I had no time to string two thoughts together. And so in the last year when they've been back at school, I feel myself getting more stamina um, and more space, more mental and physical space to think more clearly. Um, And so, and because I'm out of the trenches of early, you know, really young kids, I, I feel myself getting like hungrier or itchier or restless to do more things. Um, I'm not so consumed by like making it through every day. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So, oh, totally, totally. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, I actually I'm I feel like bored. Mm-hmm. What is what is this feeling all of a sudden? I haven't felt it in 10 years. And it's like I think maybe not boredom exactly, but like um not this let oh my gosh, every minute is consumed with yeah. something. Um so I've been giving a lot of thought this year to what that means. I'm trying to, I'm taking a course like I'm taking a writing course 
for to give myself like an accountability um, assignment and to have an opportunity to kind of talk with other writers. Um, what I would like to do is start taking like a trip once or twice a year to yes. kind of have more space to um, and time to to think uh, think my own thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> That's very um, important. So, <laughs> if you want to write your thoughts, you have to be able to think them first, right? Yeah, I want yeah. to th- have time to think my own thoughts. Um, so yeah, that's what that's. I'm sort of like looking around with, wow, I think I I can do some different things now. Yeah. Yes, I love that, and I feel like that is where you are right now. You're just right on the cusp of things are going to start to change faster and faster, and it does feel like kind of like your world widens a bit and you can take a step back and be like, wow, you know, I just was so in it, like so head down for so long. What do I want to do now? I love that. In a way, it's a little scary. I mean, I, you know, when I look at what, um, how all the projects that you work on and with your bookstore, and I really admire so much about how you dive into new projects and different kinds of writing. And, and maybe you're about to talk about that, but I really am so curious how you kind of your thought process on like, this sounds like an interesting thing to do and I'm going to do it and make it happen. Like your magazine is yeah. out. I'm, I'm so excited, you yes. know, going back to the magazine yes. that we were talking about before you have your own magazine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will just say that, um, I, my biggest, the thing that I struggle with the most is not being great at taking on one thing at a time and seeing it all the way through, which is why it's so great to have a partner like Sarah on the mom hour, because she's great at that, like seeing something through all the way to the end. I'm like, no, I want to start this and that. And I feel like if I don't jump on it, it will go away somehow. Like if the, if I don't do something with an idea, um, right away that it will cease to exist. And with, with time and maturity, I'm starting to realize that if something is meant to happen or be mine, it will circle back to me. All that said, um, gosh, just like talking through this with you. And when we were thinking through these topics, um, for this episode, I started to realize I really miss freelancing. It was a really fun time of life for me and very professionally rewarding. Um, I really liked that thrill of sending the pitch and getting the sale. I like that part more than I like doing the work sometimes, which is its own um, challenge, but you know how you said it, you're not ready to like sit down and be ready to work. For me, it's a lot of, um, spinning on an idea. So if, if I'm efficient, it's because I have so much to go that there's or so much going on that there's no time to spin. It's like, get, sit down, do the thing and move on to the next mm-hmm. thing. When I have too mm-hmm. much white space, I actually find myself not knowing where to start on stuff. And it's, so it's always a challenge, like having enough white space that I can think and but like enough margins in my life where I can take a breath and think something through and actually follow through on the details, but not so much that I lose myself in it. Um, definitely, that's something that I have dealt with. Uh, but I really loved being so head down in that work of the of the life of the working writer, and I miss the community aspect. Um, it was very different than the social media blogging and podcasting community, not better or worse, just very different. Um, but you know, I've been doing a lot more personal writing and this year it's my goal to write a book. It's been 12 years since I've written a book. I would love to do that. I'm taking, um, a book proposal class, even though I have written four book proposals and gotten them all published. Uh, I'm rusty and I need to know what it's like today. It's not the same as it was last time I did it. So I'm taking um, a class with Beth Kempton. She has the Calm Christmas um, podcast that Sarah and I've talked about a little bit. And uh, she has a book called The Way of the Fearless Writer. And she writes or she does a a class that starts for me. Well, by the time this publishes, it will already have started. And then I would like to start pitching some big outlets again. Um, I used to write a lot of like, I have a big idea about thing like something. And I would sit down and write a little pitch and I'd send it off to the Washington Post or someplace like that and often get an assignment. And it's been a very long time since I've done that kind of work. So those are things I want to tackle this year. But for me, that's like going full circle. Like that's like going back in time. So I guess it's like, I do love to do new things, but sometimes I also like to circle back to the old things. (laughs) And, um, and I guess just one other thing to your point about, it seems like I'm always doing new things and jumping in. I will sit on ideas for a really long time 
before I do anything with them. And that's something that doesn't always come through. Like it might look like I have an idea and I'm like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to start a bookstore and a magazine and I'm going to do this and this, but I've been thinking about doing those, both of those things for decades. So sometimes it takes a really long time for the timing to be right to come back around. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And I have so many questions that I'm not going to (laughs) ask. Okay. Well, I want to hear what you think is coming up for you. I mean, we talked about how your life is going to open up and what you think, you know, how your writing life might look like, but do you think that there'll be a new project you want to tackle or do you see yourself? We talked about branching out into some new niches. Um, How do you think that might play out for you? Well, I do so much work where someone comes to me with either the whole plan or a seed of an idea. And then I take that idea and turn it into my own work. Um, that's what happened with um, my first original book, The Little Book of Joy. And then I have another book that I finished writing at the end of last year that's coming out this November. And that's with the same um, publishing company, the pu- same publisher and the same illustrator. And so those are, are done. And so now I have, like what you were saying, I have all this white space, um, which is sort of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, I could do everything. And then that makes me sort of do nothing. Um, so that's why I signed up for a course to kind of make myself do assignments. Um, but I have, and you probably have this too, like a book idea folder or like a project idea folder. Yeah. And so my goal is to really make progress on those. Um, I read something like a meme or something, or maybe it was like a writing writing advice kind of thing where it was like, I want to um, fail every week, sort of like put myself out there. I love that. You know, like something and, and get, get rejected because I can spend a lot of time like hemming and hawing about an idea. You can really, um, or I can spend a lot of time like quote unquote doing research. Yes. um, And never make a messy draft. So I guess like I have, this project folder, book folder, and I want to make some messy drafts and then see if I can get rejected. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, like just make, make myself move forward without the pressure of like, this has to be the perfect thing that encompasses my whole life. Um, You know, just keep chipping away at those, those things. So I have a picture book idea um, and maybe experimenting and playing around with some fiction projects. Um, last year I interviewed Minnie Thomas and Guy Raz and I wrote an article based on that interview and it was super fun. And oh I gosh. really enjoyed like, I'm like learning from them and talking about that. to them. Yes. Yes. I, the great thing about that was that I ha- it came about and it had to happen so quickly. I had no time to stress out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of works out for me sometimes. So I don't overthink myself into like a puddle. Um, so maybe there's opportunity there to, to interview people and, and write about them. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm just yeah. kind of looking around and, yes. and putting myself out there. I love that Joanne. And it, it leads perfectly to, I guess, where I wanted us to kind of wrap up, which was talking about if there's someone listening who wants to do this, who wants to write in whatever capacity they want to write, maybe they want to be writing essays. Maybe they just want to write more on their personal site. Maybe they want to write a book. Maybe they want to get paid as a freelancer. There's lots of different paths. Um, and the way I was framing this question, but was, but doesn't know where to start. And I don't actually think it's that they don't know where to start because nowadays we all have access to information that will tell us how to do this. It's more the mental game, right? (laughs) And it's like, you know, there's like choosing the path since there's so many ways you could do it. Um, And then actually doing it. And I love what you just said about failing every week because you build up sort of immunity to it. The more you do it, it's like the more you, it's like a scab. I'm reading um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. And she talks about like almost playing a game with rejection. So she gets rejected. And then her goal is to just turn right around and get that same idea right back out into the universe in front of another editor or whatever that looks like. And how you, I feel like you almost immunize yourself against the sting because the more you experience whatever rejection looks like, whether it's nobody said anything at all, someone said something negative, 
an editor rejected it. It didn't get any response. Like whatever the thing is that feels like rejection, you just have to keep experiencing that for it to stop mattering as much. And then you get in the habit. I remember when I finally kind of flipped that switch for myself, I would also, I would almost look forward to getting a rejection because that meant I could get it out in front of someone else. And that's a, like a really weird headspace to have to get yourself into. But that was what made that pitch cycle work for me almost in a, almost addictive way. Um, I know that's not how it is for everybody. And I guess I would say if, if your personality doesn't lend yourself toward that, you might take a bit of a different path. But I'm wondering what, what you might say to someone who's listening to us and thinking, okay, well, I, I want to do this. I want to be a writer, but I just don't know how. I, I either don't know how to get started literally, or I don't know how to get myself in the right headspace to get started. Well, I think um, for someone who might be like me and, and overthink and try to want to do it perfectly from the start, um, I would say there's no perfect way to start. You know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, before I even write something, I'm going to get some books and I'm going to listen to some podcasts and I'm going to find out about how um, how to make money as a writer and like what the marketing is and yeah. what the trends are. And you can really spend forever trying to figure out the the you know perfect quote unquote thing to write. Um, and in some ways, it's just a way of procrastinating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> or as I as I say this to myself, um, so I would say it's kind of like I made this um, analogy. It's like if you want to think about running a marathon and you're like spending all your time researching shoes and gadgets to track your progress, and you've never actually like gone for a run before. Right. Um, <laughs> so I yes. would say like just start. This sounds so dumb, but just start writing, like make something messy, write notes, write post-it notes, write anything. Um, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to make sense to anybody but you to start. Um, just start, you can even call it notes, you know, yeah. just to, to take the intimidation out of it um, or scrap. I do that a lot of the time. I'll write, I'll write a scrap document. Um, a lot of the times it's like, how do you, um, override those other inner voices that are like, oh, you know, who are you to write whatever? Or mm -hmm. that's like such a basic thought. Everybody's heard that a million times before. Um, and I've been working through this myself and I have to say like, yeah, so what? Just do it. Yeah. You know, like make it less a big deal. It's not, it's what's the other thing? Like, um, my friend's kid says, it's like, it ain't that deep. Like just, <laughs> yes. just do it. Um, and then another thing is, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, um, taking a class. Like there are classes at the library. There are classes like adult schools in your town. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. There are a lot of online courses, just, just something to like nudge you past spinning around in your brain. Yes. I love that you said the thing, um, about how people might think this idea is basic or it's not that unique. I spun my wheels so hard the first, definitely the first year or so that I was trying to get established as a freelancer, I um, would go out of my way to try to find really unique angles on stories like that nobody had ever thought of before or some like weird experimental drug or something that no one was using. And, and then I realized that if no one's thought of it before and no one's using it, then no one cares. It's not, it's not, it's actually better to have an idea that's been kind of kicked around a little bit because humans aren't that unique. Like we all sort of think the same things. Like we put our own unique spin on it, but there's really no such thing as an idea no one's thought of before. And just realizing that took off so much pressure. And then I actually pulling that thread a little more, you realize, oh, actually people don't necessarily want or need brand new ideas. What they really want is you to put your spin on a tale as old as time or to um, present them old information in a new way or to help them feel better about a choice they've made or to help them to validate what they're already doing. Like there's so many ways to circle around what might seem like a tired old idea that it makes them less tired and they're just, they're all tired. Like humans have not changed that much over the millennia. Um, yeah, I think, you know, about ideas that basic or, you know, this has been said before, like they're relatable. And that's what, that's what connects us. Yeah. 
Well, Joanne, this has been so fun. Um, anybody who's listening to this and wants to know more about Joanne, we will definitely link to your stuff in the show notes and you can find some of the stories Joanne's written for us on the mom hour and the blog. We'll link to some of those as well and Joanne's site. And this has been so great. Thank you so much for being on the show, Joanne. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you liked today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.